to stand, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We'll now move to item number two, roll call. Thank you, President Scott. Our call to order was at 1.02 p.m. Roll call, starting with President Scott. Present. Commission Vice President Howe is excused. Commissioner Breslin. Commissioner Canning is excused. Supervisor Dorsey will be joining us later. And Commissioner Spallensby. Present. And Commissioner Zavansky. Present. Thank you. We'll now move to item number three, uh, discussion or public comment, general public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number three, general public comment, an opportunity for members of the public to comment on any matter within the board's jurisdiction that is not on the agenda, including requesting that a board place a matter on a future agenda item. And I'll be reading our instructions aloud for those joining and re remotely. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using WebEx. The Health Service Board welcomes public participation during public comment periods. There's an opportunity for the general public at the beginning of the meeting to participate and an opportunity to comment on each agenda item. In-person public comment will be first and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in the person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. The Health Service Board will hear, will hear up to 30 minutes of remote public comment total for each agenda item. Remote public comments from people who have received an accommodation due to a disability will not count toward that 30-minute limit. Members of the public attending the meeting via phone can call the number 415-655-0001, then enter access code 2664-113-4292. When prompted, press pound. You'll be prompted to enter the webinar password 1145, then press pound. Press star three to be added to the public comment queue and you'll hear the prompt, you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait until the host calls on you. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. You'll be muted when your time has expired. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the queue to speak. A raised hand will appear next to your name. When you're unmuted in the system, a request to unmute will appear on your screen. Please select unmute to speak. Once you hear me say welcome caller, you can begin speaking. When your time has expired, you will be muted. Please click on the raise hand icon to lower your hand. Members of the public are encouraged to state their name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining. And when your three minutes have expired, I'll say thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute and I'll unmute the next caller. Thank you to SFGov TV and Media Services for sharing the meeting with the public. We'll begin with any in-person public comment for this agenda item. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you, we'll move to item four. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number four, approval with possible modifications of the minutes of the meeting set forth below for January 11th, 2024. This is an action item. Are there any uh, comments from members of the board regarding edits or changes or corrections to the minutes? Commissioner Savansky. Thank you. Um, item number one, 
um, on these minutes. My name is not in the roll call. I'm down in number three as voting. Thank but you. Somehow I got missed. Thank, Thank you, you, Commissioner Zemanski. I'll include those edits in the, the final. Appreciate you that. Were here Thank during you. the roll call. I believe I was, okay. but <laughs> trying to remember. I don't know where I stashed the Prevagen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are there any other additions or edits or amendments to the minutes? If not, second. It's been properly moved and seconded that the minutes be approved with the addition of Commissioner Zavansky in the roll call. Is there any further discussion from the board? Hearing none, we'll now have general public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. With that, public comment is closed. Thank you. We're now getting ready to move to item four. Uh, yes, I'm sorry, the uh, vote on the minutes. All those in favor of the minutes will be indicate through the roll call vote. Thank you, President Scott. Roll call starting with President Scott. Pro Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Commissioner Bollensby? Aye. And Commissioner Zemanski? Aye. The minutes are approved. Uh, we're now ready to move to item number five. And uh, in this case, my report is contained in item number six. So uh, those two agenda items, uh, I'll claim the privilege of the chair to move into one item. So we're now moving to item number six. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number six is review and approve the Health Service Board remote public comment protocol. This is an action item that was introduced by President Scott and will be presented by Executive Director Abby Yant and myself, Holly Lopez. Thank you. Uh, back in December, uh, we, uh, I brought to the board's attention that there had been a modification uh, in the uh, handling of public comment before commissions. And uh, through that process, I was advised, at least at that point, that I could uh, make a determination as president of this commission to modify our public comment process, which we have had in place uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. We've modified it as we've gone through all of that uh, using the mayor's guidance and the guidance from our council's office. Uh, we're now at that meeting in December. I ask that uh, we undertake a review of how public comment has been used with this board for the past six months or so. Additionally, I ask that of the uh, executive director to look at usage and costs uh, for the last six months. I asked the board secretary at that meeting 
to gather information on how other boards and commissions were responding uh, to the new guidance from the mayor's office and their individual review of this. And I asked the council to also provide some written guidance on what to do if HSS board meetings were disrupted by uh, hacker comments or comments that were not germane to the meeting or personal attacks, which was the prompting for all of this because it did occur at the Board of Supervisors level. And I requested that all of this be undertaken and brought back to the board for an action item in February. So this item on the agenda today is a result of that. And I want to thank uh, Director uh, Yant and the board secretary and the council for their work in preparing for this action item. So with that, I'll turn it over to Executive Director Yant. Thank you, Commissioner Scott, and uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, I'm going to briefly go through uh, our agenda is uh, where we'll talk about the uh, public comment practices, history, and timeline, as President Scott has mentioned, uh, where we're at currently, what questions we're attempting to resolve uh, about the public comment practice, as well as addressing any kind of protocol for disruptions uh, in the public comment process. Um, and then we'll have a discussion and recommendations that can be considered by the board. The public comment practices and history and timeline, the board and commissions um, do offer uh, co public comment on each agenda item. Uh, Pre-pandemic, uh, we adhered to all accommodation requests, uh, uh, which is the law. And um, we continue, and then we had public comment available um, in person at um, one point when we resumed, or well, this was uh, pre-pandemic, excuse me. During the pandemic, you know, we were all in that strange world of cyberspace, and that is the way that we um, conducted our meetings as well as received uh, public comment. As we emerged from the uh, pandemic and the emergency proclamation uh, and the mayor was able to end the public health orders, um, we followed citywide guidelines and returned to in-person meetings. Um, and the, the public uh, bodies such as this, um, members are required to attend in person and are not permitted to attend virtually. Um, and then we conduct these meetings in a hybrid way because we still have the practice of allowing virtual public comment. Uh, at this time. So I'm going to let Holly talk a little bit about the research that she was able to pull together. Thank you, um, Executive Director Ant, Holly Lopez, Board Secretary. Um, and I was able to go back and look for the six-month record, um, looking at our public comment practices. And there were a few categories. We're on slide three. And the our public comment practice um, has been to offer it on every agenda item. Um, it can be given in person, remotely, or written submission the day before. And then we allow three minutes of public comment for each agenda item unless new um, public comment time limits are deemed by the president. Um, I did look in the timing of our um, agenda where I speak the instructions out. So there's the long, full instructions in the beginning. It takes about two minutes. And then um, after a break, we often can call the full agenda item, or excuse me, the full uh, instructions again. So that takes about two minutes. And then at the end of each agenda item, it's, it can be up to a minute um, if there's callers. If there's no callers, we move pretty quickly through that. And then I did survey um, uh, 
Of the 125 plus boards or commissions, I looked at 41 boards and commissions, and it's split down the middle. There's 21 boards that offer remote public comment, just as a, as a common practice, and then there's 20 boards or commissions that only call remote public comment for accommodation requests. So it's really split in the middle. And then at the bottom, there's a chart that shows the moderator time and the tech time. So we have a, a staff member from HSS that supports us um, in case there's any technological difficulties or challenges. Um, throughout the meeting, I'm monitoring the email in case a member is saying I can't get in. So that's our staff together to do that. And so per me, or through the six month um, reporting, each, st uh, each staff member, our moderator and our tech support, contributed 20 hours and about just over 20 hours. And then public comments for the last six months was about 33 total. Um, so it gives us a gauge of what we offer and um, the participation that we get over the last six months. Thank you, Holly. Yeah. Um, so uh, the discussion that uh, can ensue, um, President Scott, is to really consider the remote public comment options of continuing the current practice or, or limiting to the public comment only to request for accommodations due to a disability. Um, and then also uh, we recognize the need to develop a protocol for any kind of disruptive behavior, whether it's through the public comment, virtual or in person or otherwise. So um, those are the next steps in this uh, project. Okay, yes, uh, our, we'll have a word from our oh. council, yes. Um, as the uh, as the President um, Scott requested, I did look into um, and provided a memo to uh, the board on disruptive public comment. Uh, that is all attorney-client privilege, so the board has it, and I have followed up, um, at least left messages and talked to some people about uh, whether they have any questions or would like to uh, discuss it further, and I'm happy to discuss it uh, beyond this. Um, but that's as much as I can say uh, on that topic right now. We thank you for your responsiveness uh, to the request. Uh, that's for each of the uh, persons making the presentation. We'll now open this up for further board discussion at this point. Uh, yeah. Commissioner Fallins, <clears throat> Thank you very much. I think everyone's contribution is very much appreciated. I think a certain amount of work went into getting the data, et cetera. I just have sort of a logistical question about the sort of continued current practice versus limit public comment for requests for accommodations due to disability. I guess the question is that the second, would it? how much time would it really save because you, you would have to still set up the system to allow um, for you know requests based on disability. And uh, a lot of comments, I think, based on the emails we get, come in within the few hours prior to the meeting. And so any attempt to sort of you know, ask for you know, predetermination of disability two, three, 70, you know, 48, 72 hours seems like it would, might um, dissuade people or not be really useful for people. So I guess the question is, in terms of those commissions and committees that, that do um, uh, allow for accommodations for disability, what do they do logistically? And do you have any idea how much time and money they really save uh, with that? Um, so secretaries um, were advised when we went back into um, in-person and hybrid um, to 
regardless of setting up a meeting, um, whether you're going to have in-person or a remote, to always have the WebEx um, meeting scheduled. And it's just a matter of if we put it onto our agenda or not. So I will, I will continue doing, having that prep work, which is minimal. Um, it, it's, it's made to be ready in case there are any accommodations that come in if we were not to have it as a regular part of our agenda. So as far as the prep, it's, it's very minimal. It wouldn't change, no. I'd like to move that we continue the current practice. And I'm, the reason I'm saying so is, I mean, initially like the other idea because it's shorter for everybody, the meeting, you know, but I think being a fiduciary, the current practice is best for our members because we have members living out of town and we have members living in town who can't get down here to the meetings. So, you know, I, like I say, I changed my mind. I'll second that. After um, I thought about how hard it is for some people to get down here and actually make a comment, especially older people. And then um, I, I was saying also younger people don't even live in town, a lot of them. So that, that is my reasoning for uh, recommending that. All right, we have a motion on the floor. Is there a second? I seconded it. It's been moved and seconded that we continue the current practice in, that, in, in uh, public comment as was outlined in our opening today and we'll demonstrate throughout this meeting. Is there any further discussion by members of the board? I'd like to ask a question. Yes, Commissioner um, Savansky. Did, did you, um, thank you, President Scott, did you um, check with the retirement system board and see what their experience is with regard to public comment and comment from members? I didn't speak with the their secretary um, about this Sterling. particular matter, yeah. um, but the boards that I did, I did survey the boards by looking online. Right. Um, so they still list a remote public comment option okay. for every meeting. Yeah. Thank you. And the reason I ask that is that our two boards are employee and retiree specific with regard to our membership. And so I think it's critical, um, and I thank uh, Commissioner Breslin for um, suggesting this, that we retain our, our current practice because it's significant to our specific membership and we need to do that and be available to them. All right. Thank you. Any other comments from the board? Thank you, Holly. Hearing none, we'll now take public comment on this item. So, Holly, do you, I guess you have to come back to your desk. To, I, to I can scoot back. Um, I know um, Executive Director Ant did have another discussion topic, though. I'm okay. not sure if you wanted to keep it in your vote. No, uh, we can go ahead with okay. the next discussion topic. And that was the um, disruptive behavior. Yes. There was a discussion Please. on any of that. Yeah, um, I, and I don't know that this requires board approval, but we will put a, um, a disruptive behavior protocol. Um, and we'll, we'll develop that and put it in place, and then for the chair of this meeting, well, that will be part of their education as they assume that position. All right. Thank you uh, for that intended staff work and the announcement about that as well. All right, is there any other comment from the board? Questions? Hearing none, we'll now go to public comment on this item. So thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. 
and no one has approached the podium, we'll move to our remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. I, I do want to um, just pause for five seconds to see if there are any more coming in. And I do see um, there's two people that have joined. If those two people um, would like to join public comment, you can press the star three to be added to the public comment queue. No, they have not raised their hand, so seeing no further callers, public comment is now closed. All right, with public comment uh, closed, this being an action item, we'll now have a roll call vote. Our roll call vote, starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. The vote is unanimous, and I'd like to have that noted for the minutes. Uh, if you would, please. All right, with that, we'll move to item number seven. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number seven is the director's report. This is a discussion item and will be presented by SFHSS Executive Director Abby Yant. Good afternoon again, Commissioners. Um, <clears throat> my director's report uh, includes the reminder that we are still in the blackout period through uh, no June of 2024. Um, we also uh, were very happy and pleased to learn that United Healthcare and the UCSF Medical Group were able to resolve uh, or to come to agreement on a contract retroactive to January 1st of this year. Um, so I uh, appreciate uh, the support from uh, both parties that uh, really had us all pretty stressed out. Um, so it's the right thing to do for our members and I'm glad we have that in place. Uh, February is a really great month for celebrating um, equity and diversity and cult various cultural heritage celebrations. Um, I'll just call out, uh, because I have a personal interest in this, in, in the um, African Americans in the arts, um, and um, there's quite a, quite a bit of uh, science these days on arts and well-being, so I do think it's an excellent um, way to celebrate our African Americans as well as uh, uh, enjoy the arts, which is uh, very good for your health and well-being. Um, and we do have uh, greatly celebrated in San Francisco the Chinese New Year celebrations underway. Um, we um, also the Medicare uh, RFP is going along swimmingly. I will say that um, Aon's uh, consulting arm uh, has a uh, Medicare. Uh, uh, advantage plan expert on their team who has been extraordinarily helpful in putting together the um, many of the technical documents that are required in the RFP process and Michael Visconti has put his heart and soul into this and um, gotten great support I think from Aon and, and his colleagues at HSS and so we do look forward to um, bringing a strong recommendation uh, to forward to this board um, later this year. Uh, the Healthcare Affordability Board and Advisory Committee, um, as I've mentioned each month, is uh, an arduous task uh, in trying to bring some controls to the ever-increasing cost of healthcare in the state of California, and they are making some very critical decisions um, going right now. They're out for 45-day public comment on the healthcare affordability target, which is currently slated at 3% per year. 
Um, would you repeat that number? 3% per year. And the base year, I was looking it up as I came into the room, and I can't, I can't recall if Takar, the base year is 24 or 25. Um, you don't know either, um, <laughs> but it's, it's around the corner uh, nonetheless. So um, I'll bring more of those details as those um, initiatives uh, get approved, but they're, they're working on all the things that are important to this body as well with um, not just affordability, but advanced primary care and, and um, the uh, behavioral health components as well as a, a huge list of workforce initiatives. Uh, so uh, we are uh, getting a lot of uh, help from the state at this point in time, which is very welcome. Um, we are um, in the throes of the, of the budget this time of year, and so you'll be hearing a whole lot about that at this meeting. And um, I think that's pretty much what I've got to say for today. Any questions? Well, I would like to make a comment on the UCSF Medical Group uh, United Healthcare resolution. Uh, we had uh, concerns expressed by this board for the past several months about this issue. It uh, uh, has certainly been something that we've directed the, the executive director to try to exercise any of her formal or informal uh, presence in that process to the degree she was able to. And I want to thank you, Abby, uh, for what you've done on behalf of the membership uh, in trying to get this resolved and to keep it focused on the issues at hand. So I want to thank the parties for uh, taking whatever reasonable steps there were to reach this accommodation. And uh, on behalf of the members, thank them as well. So. Good work. Thank you again for your efforts. Are there other comments from the members of the board? Uh, yeah, I have a question about the Medicare RFP. Um, I um, decided to go through and sort of skim the various uh, and end one through three, um, which was um, quite a process. And number one, um, I was you know, incredibly impressed with the complexity of this RFP, like every RFP, and the expertise that goes in. Now, under the questions, from particularly interested parties, but also the responses. There was one that caught my attention in addendum number three, and I don't expect you to be able to answer it today, but it was question number 47, which was in addendum number three, which was whether it was, there was a mandatory to have a PCP requirement. And their answer from us was the UHC doctor's plan does require a PCP, but bidders are not required to have uh, a plan that requires a PCP. And it sort of jumped out at me since one of our goals was to sort of enhance primary care. And so I wasn't quite clear what went into the thinking that uh, we are now asking or, or allowing, um, you know, plan, you know, uh, applicants not to have a PCP for this particular plan, you know, plan issue. Uh, can maybe someone could explain it or at least could get back to us about this because I do think that a requiring a PCP is an important issue. I don't know if Michael Visconti is listening in, and he's welcome to call in if he is, but I think the short answer is we cannot discuss this. I'm uh, sorry. We discuss cannot it? discuss it because this is part of the RFP process, so it would have to be, fall within the, the bounds of that, but I, like I said, I'll check with Michael, but generally speaking, s staff, including myself, can't respond to any questions outside the very... Um, a structured process for receiving and providing input. 
I guess I would like our attorney to review the response of Director Yant on this. It seems to me that if we're being allowed to read these responses, that we should be allowed to ask questions uh, and to raise issues that seem inconsistent with our goals as a board. And so uh, maybe we can weigh in on that in terms of whether that's not appropriate to discuss uh, an issue like such as requiring a, a PCP uh, in the plan applicants. Commissioner Breslin, I'm sorry, comment. please. Just clarify the, the question. Uh, it's, it's beyond just asking or raising issues. You're wanting uh, responses from, from the staff. Uh, that is true. All right. With that clarification, Commissioner Breslin. Um, United Health. Could you lean into the microphone? United okay. Healthcare presently doesn't require that you see a primary care doctor to refer away first, and I and I, I really like the idea because before you're paying for the primary care doctor, and then you're paying again to see the specialist. This way, you're you're not you know you're going around that you're going directly to the specialist. That that was what I found to be very helpful. Yeah, I don't. I think the issue is not so much whether one has to see a primary care doc before one can get a specialty referral. It's that every member of the plan have a PCP on record who can address the primary care issues. Now, how the plan deals with consultation and all that is another issue. But I think this is a different issue, from my understanding. Um, but anyway, I just found. Okay. All right. I think we have both the thrust of your question and a referral uh, virtually to the manager of contracting for the board and a referral to our general counsel. So we're covered, okay. I think, for that question. Can Are there I, other questions uh, from members of the well, board? I'd Mr. like to Zemanski? comment. Um, in, in my limited experience during my 37 and a half years with the city and county of San Francisco, um, any discussion of RFPs was always proprietary, and during the process that an RFP was being worked on, um, you couldn't have public comment or any outside discussion um, that this was all proprietary until the RFP came out. And so I see this as following those protocols, and I don't know if they've changed since then. All right. But I just Thank you for that experience background comment. Are there other comments uh, on any other aspect of the director's report? Hearing none from the board, we'll now have public comment on the director's report. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have four callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. That being a discussion item, we'll now move to item number eight. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number eight, SFHSS financial report as of December 31st, 2023. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Iftikhar Hussein, SFHSS Chief Financial Officer. Good afternoon. 
Um, I'm here to report uh, the financial, uh, the st status of the trust and some of the trends we're seeing. And uh, consistent with last year, uh, with last month, uh, we are seeing, um, um, we're projecting a net decrease of 21 million um, in the trust, mainly due to the 15 million in stabilization that we have built into the rates. Uh, and as far as claims are concerned, we are seeing uh, medical claims are trending higher. Uh, and dental claims, you know, I had made a comment last year that they look, we looked at utilization. Uh, they are higher than last year. We had a 6% increase in dental claims, and the utilization is higher, but it is not as high as uh, we had targeted. Uh, the pharmacy rebates, we are continuing to project about $16 million for this year. And um, the, the sustainability trust net change is about 120. It's basically flat for the sustainability trust. Uh, we still continue to have vacancies, but we have a robust recruitment program that is going well. So we expect to fill those vacant positions this year. Are there questions of the Chief Financial Officer? Commissioner Breslin. Dental claims are higher than the prior year, but lower than the plan. Yeah, so we had um, a large variance last year. We, um, so we are seeing progress where uh, the visits for preventive care actually have been increasing, but not, not increasing as much as we had expected and targeted. Okay. Any other questions on the financial report for this month from the board? Hearing none, we'll now have public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have four callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. All right, thank you. That being a discussion item, we'll move to item number 10. Nine. Nine, excuse me. <laughs> thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number nine, SFHSS 2024 Demographics Report. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Rin Coleridge, Director of Enterprise Systems and Analytics with SFHSS. Good afternoon, Director. Welcome back. Good afternoon, Commissioners. It is a great pleasure to see you all. Okay, Rin Coleridge, Director of Enterprise Systems and Analytics, here to present the SFHSS 2024 Demographic Report. And before I dive into the presentation, I must say that this report would not be at all possible without the dedicated effort of two individuals from our staff. There's Sharmini Botnagar and Ryan Klaus, and it takes them the better part of a month or more just to assemble this report and then we move into some analytics of the report. So a, a big shout out to those two. All right. 
So first off, uh, for our first time here in three years, our covered lives have increased. We now have 136,776 covered lives. And uh, the great resignation has passed. Uh, if you look at this chart, it's our five-year trend on hires, retirements, and terminations. And so we see the terminations and the retirements are dipping and the uh, hiring outpaced both of those for a net change of 1,154. And really that was driven by that 5% increase in the active population due to um, hiring. So good news for us. And um, you'll find references to that on pages four and 21 of the larger demographic report. Both of these are found on sfhss.org. Uh, we do have uh, an increase in waived individuals, and more significantly, that change um, was evident in the medically enrolled lives in the non-Medicare retiree population. Um, and so there was uh, 316 lives previously enrolled in a medical plan in 2023 that have waived for 2024. And then we also look at the new um, entrants into this population, and so 78 of those new non-Medicare retirees also waived medical. But just to keep that in context for you across our whole population, it's only 11% that waive medical. And what we find is the far majority of these people are still enrolling themselves and their family in our dental coverage. And what we don't have access to is information about are these individuals covered under medical through another family member. Excuse me, you don't oh. know if they're covered through any other um, prior employment either? Correct, yeah, we don't. We just don't know. Yeah, our, our, our point of view is really only our own membership. So Got it. we know people who would be eligible because they work for the city currently or worked and retired from the city, but if they're waiving with us, we don't have a way of knowing if they're yeah. getting their coverage elsewhere. Okay, thank you. No, thank you, Commissioner Zmanski. Um, Vision Premier, you know I love that benefit, people. Um, it continues to be very, very popular and it experienced another 11% increase in enrolled lives. And so every year we've had this benefit offering to our members, we've seen that enrollment increase. And now it's accounting for 39% of our eligible lives. So huge, huge gains on the Vision Premier. Uh, shifting a little bit to our voluntary benefits. These are benefits that are only available to our active employees from the city and county of San Francisco and from, thank you very much for assistance back there. Not used to the new world order of being able to do this on my own. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, available for uh, employees of the Superior Court and for city and county of San Francisco. Um, we did see, except for the short-term disability, slight increases in enrollment in all of these voluntary benefits that are offered. They're 100% employee paid and we facilitate those through um, payroll deductions. Um, but just to put that into context for you, that bar on the far right-hand side of this chart is the whole eligible population. So overall, we still have a very, very small uptake of employees that avail themselves to these voluntary benefits. Um, and just to, to be clear as well that um, the supplemental life here is just a voluntary life insurance. It is not the employer paid life that is extended um, to um, all eligible employees and is an employer paid benefit of life insurance. All right, so um, usually, 
when I present um, here at the demographic report to you. Um, my talking points include how stable this group is, how you know the population hasn't really changed in certain demographic areas, or it's trending as expected, et cetera, et cetera. And this year, same, same, but different, because we, um, we do have those stable demographics, so you know the majority of the percentage of our population are still living in San Francisco County, and their distribution along the other counties is the same. You know the distribution when we look at our population by gender or um, by number of dependents and family sizes—that's all stayed consistent. But in 2024, our average age for our employee members has decreased, and I think you know we tend to be on average an older population, and so this. Uh, uh, decrease was certainly uh, a key observation, again, driven by that hiring that led to that reduction in overall age in our active population. Um, let's talk about uh, distribution of our employees by race and ethnicity. Uh, can we have the yeah. slides yeah. to yes, my apologies. Uh, catch up with the... Uh, I'm definitely not practiced at yeah. running this myself. Thank you. Thank you for the call out. Um, so, uh, talking about our eighth race, race and ethnicity distribution, and again, this is a, across our employee population, and um, we are getting better at um, providing this data to you. So, um, we've been able to reduce um, the count to 773 employees whose race data was not available, whereas last year, I think we were running about a couple thousand that we, we didn't have information on. And so percentage distribution uh, decreased by 1% for our Filipino and white employees and increased by 2% for the Hispanic employees. And then the distribution in terms of uh, the segment size and ranking remained the same. And finally, just a, another point I'd like to call out for you commissioners is that um, Prop B went into effect um, January 9th, 2009. So we are officially at 15 years. Thank you. <laughs> we are officially at 15 years since Prop B went into effect, and that is the employer contribution to health care based on your service years. And so, um, you know, we're looking at who are our retirees falling into these um, Prop B um, employer contributions, and so um, the those with 10 years um, get a 50% employer contribution. Those who have 15 years of service qualify for a 75% contribution. And as expected, we are seeing those groups growing, and we'll continue to see those growing uh, year over year. Um, we also do have a segment, which is, has always been around, but just to call it out, um, of those employee uh, retirees who have no employer contribution but do have access to our plans that we offer. And so only seeing five of those come through um, that were due to Prop B employee retirements. And so those are people that work between five and 10 years. So to, be, uh, to take advantage of being one of our members, you have to at least have the five service years if you're a Prop B employee. But if you have less than 10, you have no, no employer contribution. But, but really the main driver of this group tends to be retirees or survivors who just don't meet some of our other eligibility requirements. And with that, those are the key observations for the 2024 demographic report, and I'll take any questions or comments. Are there questions and comments from the board on the presentation? I would only uh, start this by commending you, Ren, and your team for, again, 
the work that you do, not only on this report, but a lot of the other analytics that go into the renewal process and so forth. I don't want it to seem that you're, as you started your presentation, they work a month on this, and the rest of the time they're not doing anything. Uh, you guys have been very, very busy, I know, with our claims database and a lot of the other things that drive uh, the renewal and open enrollment processes that were highlighted to us. So, so again, I thank you for your leadership and your contingent diligence and hard work on all of that. Thank you very much, President Scott. Uh, yeah, I also want to compliment Collins. you and your staff on this. This is an incredibly important report um, in terms of how we understand um, the, the demographics um, of the people that we serve. Um, I know that you mentioned and one of your charts did show that the distribution by county of residents, I think, um, was pretty stable. Um, and one of the social determinants, of course, of health is, is commute. Um, and so I guess the question I have is, is, and this may not be answerable, and maybe a lot of work to figure it out, is that, that with some of the counties are fairly large, and they, the people tend to house themselves further away from you know, the very urban um, centers in these counties because housing costs may be less. So commute times may actually be quite different within a county. So I guess the question I have is do we have any way of, is this an important <coughs> demographic issue about how where people seek their care? We've had complaints about dental access for people in other counties, for example, um, but where people seek their care based on their residence versus in a place of employment, I think is an important social determinant of, of how we provide healthcare services. Do you have any way to get some a little more fine tuning on this or is it too yeah, much? Yeah, we, we have done some other internal analytics that look at that, you know, or um, taking, you know, the area deprivation indexes and some of those other indexes, which I know that so sounds not really accessible when you use words like that, but that's what they call the index. But, you know, it's taking yeah. a look at, you know, groceries and fresh produce available in an area and fresh park. And then we also, you know, have employees' home zip code so we can look at commute times to work. And when we've tried to do some uh, drill down in certain um, parts of our population, um, likewise, when we're, you know, going out to do any um, RFPs or access to care, it is like, well, we have populations in these geographic areas, and those get turned over as all part of that process. Um, so, so it is things we, lo we look at. Um, and then, you know, uh, we do know um, that, that we see certainly more, I say more of it, you know, the, the sheer volume of numbers is in San Francisco County, but if we we're looking at it and weighting it, the families tend to be, you know, a little further out. Um, and so, so those are analytics that we can get to and uh, are looking at. Where the individual is actually going to get their care, are they doing it when they come into the office here in yeah. San Francisco or by their house? That, that part's not quite the piece of the puzzle we have, but, but it's things we look at. Thank you for that question. Okay. Thank you. Other questions from the board? regarding the presentation or other general questions. Hearing that. Just thank you very much, because we recognize the amount of work that the staff puts in to do these. So appreciate that for you and your staff. Thank you. All right. Hearing no further questions from the board, I'll open this up for public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. 
For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have four callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. Uh, given that we are going to have uh, some presentations uh, shortly from some of our employer group representatives, I'm going to call for a recess of our meeting at this time. Thank you. Ten minutes.
your microphone. This isn't. Let's try. Hello. There we are. Okay. Good, Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, I'd, uh, I was just remarking on the break that uh, I think this is the first time HSS has gotten together with all its employers, which I think is quite remarkable. So thank you all for being here today and creating a mom momentous occasion. Um, there is one exception, however, JM from the courts wasn't able to be here. So I just want to give a little uh, context as to who the courts cover. Uh, and um, and then we'll proceed with the presentations uh, by our guest. Uh, but the S San Francisco Superior Court is, of, is comprised of 448 employees, including one court commissioner and 49 judges. All court employees are eligible for health benefits uh, through HSS and are members of the of SPURS as well. Uh, Superior Court judges are not eligible for uh, the health benefits unless they were previously worked for the city uh, and had tenure there. Uh, so there are um, 11 judges who fall under this exception. So that's the uh, scope of their work there and um, I appreciate uh, JM very much. He's a joy to work with and uh, as are our other employers and we do have, as Holly mentioned, uh, we have representation from the city and county, uh, from the Unified School District, and from the city community, community college uh, in the city. So uh, I think we're starting with uh, Ben and Anna. Welcome to the podium. See him. Afternoon, commissioners, uh, and thank you for having us. I'm Ben Rosenfield, city controller. Um, we appreciate the opportunity to come present our, some of our financial condition and, and issues to you today. Um, I will very briefly, as the, as the board is aware, um, the city's finances, as is the case for every major city in the U.S., have really tremendously been impacted by the pandemic. Um, that's been true for the last four years now. We've gotten through that largely with the use of federal relief and other resources that we had set aside in better times. Um, and while recovery is occurring, it's clear to us that it's not going to catch up with the loss of those, those sources. And so um, I will turn the floor over to Anna Duning, who's the mayor's budget director, who can run through some slides talking through our financial outlook. Good afternoon. Good to meet you all. I'm Anna Duning, the mayor's budget director. Um, so just to start off with a little bit of context, uh, the city of San Francisco, we must be your largest employer. Is that, is that accurate? So um, in this calendar year, we expect to spend as a city, between both city contributions and our employees, $971 million on healthcare. Um, and that represents a pretty significant, about a 10% increase from the prior year based on what we're seeing happen in healthcare rates. So we have about a $15 billion budget, about a billion we spend on healthcare annually. Um, what I'm gonna get into in this presentation here, um, this is the city's budget outlook. It's the same presentation that we've been giving for a couple months now. That's why it says December 2023. We are constantly updating these numbers, but these are numbers that we had as of December on what we do, five-year budget planning. So we're looking at the next four or five years um, what does the city's budget look like, specifically our general fund budget? So this does not include all of our enterprise departments or any self-supporting departments, but this is what the mayor's office must balance in her budget um, by the time we go to the board on June 1st. And the um, board of supervisors considers the budget in June and then adopts it for the new fiscal year starting in July. 
Okay, so the fiscal outlook for the city's general fund right now is a very significant deficit. Um, as you can see here, we're projecting that our revenues, that's the bottom blue line, over the next four years grow by about two or three percent every year, maybe a couple hundred million dollars. Meanwhile, status quo, based on current expenditure projections, the way the city is currently doing business, what we know about healthcare rates, about our pension plans, about other areas of cost growth and inflation, um, that would bring us to a, a $1.35 billion deficit um, in just four years. So we must close this gap um, immediately. We must close the gap in the first two years, which puts us at an $800 million deficit. So what are some of the assumptions behind these numbers? Um, really, a lot of what is driving this, it's not the only thing, but is the slow growth in our tax base. Um, we have seen ongoing reductions in property tax based on what's happening downtown. I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, our transfer taxes, which are taxes when large properties are sold, are at recession era lows, um, 2011 or 2008 recession era. Um, and seeing really slow growth in our business tax base. Meanwhile, on the cost side, citywide costs continue to escalate at really high rates, um, including our salaries and benefits um, and other citywide costs. I'm gonna skip over some of these slides because I know I only have 10 minutes. Um, so I wanna talk a bit more what's happening with citywide revenues. High office vacancies are really driving a lot of this dynamic. So what's happening? downtown, the fact that um, our economic foundation has shifted entirely with remote work um, means the value of those huge buildings downtown and somewhat throughout the city are far below what they were previously. And that has a huge impact on both our property taxes but also business taxes. In addition to that, we're seeing really high rates of dispute and litigation right now in our business taxes. We have a pretty complicated business tax formula, and um, right now a lot of businesses are questioning whether it's the right formula, where they fit in, and we have to hold back a lot of tax revenue for pending litigation. Coming out of the pandemic, we saw our hospitality sector, so important in San Francisco, start to rebound. Sales, hotels, conventions starting to come back. It seems to be slowing a little bit, and we're not quite at where we were pre-pandemic. Also has an impact on our tax base. Um, local state and sales tax also starting to slow, something we're seeing statewide. Um, and then there's a number of one-time sources, funds we've relied on the last few years to balance our budgets, um, largely through federal relief, as well as drawing on our own local reserves, which we used to kind of get through the pandemic, assuming we would bounce back to where we were in previous years, and then be back on sort of a growth trajectory and not have to dip into reserves. We have spent a lot of those down, so that's one of the reasons that you see such a huge gap in some of the final years of this projection. So this just highlights a few revenue sources that are actually lower than they were in 2018. So it's not that just that growth is more slow in some of the city's most important revenue sources. We're actually collecting less revenue, fewer taxes than we were in business, sales, hotel, parking, and transfer tax. This is really at the heart of it, the fact that office vacancy rates, unfortunately, San Francisco has some of the highest vacancy rates in the country, and they're still projected to grow even further. And even those businesses that do, or those buildings that do have tenants, they're not filled to the same capacity they were. So even the people that are showing up to work, 
that um, are filling office buildings downtown. There's fewer people spending money in our local economy when they even are at work. Um, this just highlights how San Francisco stands out from other major metro areas. <coughs> Pre-pandemic, we had one of the lowest office vacancy rates in the country. We were able to command really high prices for um, getting commercial space in San Francisco. Now we have one of the highest rates. So we had a really, we had a um, long way to fall, and that's what's really been disruptive to us. Another challenge we're seeing is assessment appeals. Property owners are filing more appeals than they ever have in this environment, and the assessed value of all these open appeals is almost $200 billion of property value that is at risk or being questioned whether we've um, assessed the right amount of property tax. Transfer tax, again, this is a tax on a um, sale of really large valuable properties. It's always been a relatively volatile source of revenue for us, um, but it's quite low right now given the interest rate environment um, and the value of a lot of these businesses right now. I mentioned this, hospitality rebounded after the pandemic, but that's slowing down um, as well as um, both local as well as state sales tax rebounded, um, and we were thinking, okay, we're gonna be back to where we were pre-pandemic. That's what our prior projections showed. We've corrected that a bit. That's starting to slow down. So that's the revenue side. So that is why, again, revenue's growing at only two or 3% a year, whereas pre-pandemic, um, even in 2018, 2019, when we were starting to think, okay, things are moderating a little bit since really explosive growth coming out of the Great Recession, from 2012 all the way through 2016, 17. In 2018, our revenues were going by like 8% a year. So two to 3% is, is really tepid given the city's costs. So these are the big costs, salary and benefits, um, highest area of cost growth for the city. It's the salaries of our employees, our retirement benefits, our health benefits, a number of other things. The city has a lot of baselines and required funding mandates that are baked into our charter um, and those grow every year. The voters continue adopting new baselines. The newest one requires us to fund additional programs for schools by $35 million a year, and that grows to $60 million a year. Our um, major expenditures and other operating costs and other programs um, from housing to homelessness to debt to real estate, uh, you name it, we're a big city, we have a lot of costs. <laughs> Finally, just highlighting a few, um, our salary and benefits. So this is just the city's general fund. So if you were to look at all salary and benefits citywide, it's almost double this number. But we've grown quite a lot in the past five years. That's both because we've added employees and also because we've raised those employees' wages and also because of the costs of healthcare, pensions, and other benefits. So this is just in the past five years, our um, costs for city employees have grown by $800 million. Healthcare accounts for about 12% of citywide personnel costs. Um, and you've probably seen this chart before. We borrowed this from the HSS team. Um, but this was an area, healthcare cost growth, that's been somewhat steady and predictable in our budget the last few years. Um, and obviously, we've seen costs escalate quite a bit. So that projection <coughs> that I showed you on the first slide of expenditures going up and up and up 
about 30 or $40 million a year is additional um, healthcare expenditures that we are projecting. And then finally, these are just things that are not yet assumed in our forecast, but we are carefully tracking um, if interest rates stay high, that will continue to dampen business activity and real estate investments. I mentioned the level of assessment appeals, the state budget not in a good place, um, and it's putting at risk a lot of funds we get from the state. Um, and then finally, we're always tracking our retirement contribution rates, which tend to fluctuate with the market and can lead to big spikes um, and new costs for the city. Um, and with that, I can answer questions. I can pass it on to the next set of presenters. Well, let's pause for a moment. And are there questions on to the city employer? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Savansky. Um, thank you. Um, when you talk about the health care increasing by 30 to 40 million a year, you're not talking about our health care benefits. You're talking about the cost of health care for the city and county, like through public health and, and generally speaking. No, that's, I'm talking about the benefits. You're the talking cost about of the, the benefit packages that we pay for the employee, for city employees. Employee yes. and retiree benefits. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Other questions? I'm uh, surprised, but mm -hmm. we'll go on. I would like to, uh, if we don't get back to this, uh, and thank you thank very you much for, for being here today. And I'd like to call the controller back to the podium for a moment. Uh, controller Rosenfeld is the appointing authority for uh, this particular person being on this commission. And as we are aware, he is leaving city service uh, within a few months. And uh, as a citizen of San Francisco, uh, Controller Rosen, I want to thank you for your diligence and service uh, to the city and county of San Francisco and from a professional standpoint to thank you for your confidence in me and appointing me uh, to this uh, board. So thank you for what you've done for all of us. Thank you very much, Mr. President. It has been an honor um, and I am more grateful for your service and willingness to continue to serve here and appreciate your leadership uh, along with the other members of the commission on these issues. So I, I will look forward to our paths crossing again. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. Very good. So with that, we'll move to our next employer. Good afternoon. I'm Amy Baer. I'm Associate Superintendent of Human Resources uh, with the San Francisco Unified School District. And I'd like to introduce some of my colleagues. I have please Dave do. Swen Irwin, who Would you is please our- please stand as she calls your name so we know who you are? Welcome. Swen is our executive director uh, in, I'm sorry, excuse me, senior executive director. And I also have Jeremy Bailly, and Jeremy oversees our employee services department, which includes health benefits. So thank, thank you for, for inviting us today. to come speak. So uh, the school district, uh, we have roughly 9,000 employees. Um, that includes 16 bargaining units, and also we have groups of unrepresented management and non-management employees. And as you may or may not know, education is a very competitive hiring market right now. There's a nationwide teacher shortage. Um, and for a number of reasons, the school district is facing a structural budget deficit. Uh, we're currently engaged in a resource alignment initiative to bring our budget into um, to stop this deficit. 
And we are in the process of cutting $150 million for the 24-25 school year. So moving to our health, uh, the health implications for our employees, um, Kaiser coverage for the employee only with no dependents has really been an, a reliable no-cost option for our employees. So this is the first year that that's not the case. Um, Kaiser only, uh, employee only coverage is an industry-wide expectation for educators that they would be able to sign up with a school district and get coverage if they're a single person, that Kaiser would be the, the free option for employees. Um, the increase in the costs for Kaiser this year has had a real direct impact on our employees. Uh, our biggest net change during open enrollment was employees moving from Kaiser to HealthNet, which is now the only free option for our employees. And um, this has had the biggest impact on our lowest paid employees, which is also the group of our, um, that includes our most of our employees of color. Um, so it's really been an impact on our employees to not have Kaiser covered. Uh, can you pause for a moment? Yes. What it, are you saying the employees now, there's a shared employer employee cost f with Kaiser? That's correct. The employer. And what is that? Yeah, so the employer has always had a contribution, but the employee has always had a free option for just an employee-only coverage with Kaiser, and that's no longer the case. And so what does an, an employee-only have to pay? What per percentage or dollar amount? <coughs> I'm going to ask Jeremy to come up on okay, that Okay, if you would, please. Hi. Hello, commissioners. Um, so the, the average cost of employee-only coverage for Kaiser currently is about $19.40 for our teachers. Um, and I believe uh, it's close to $13 for our uh, SEIU uh, biweekly employees. Um, one thing to note, however, is that typically the, the rates um, that, the, that are bargained for the employee contributions have, have not had to really change because it's been consistent over the years. Um, but we anticipate and have really received feedback from our labor unions that in ongoing labor negotiations, like that is going to be a key focus of those negotiations, which will have substantial impacts to the employer contribution. All right, thank you. Please yes, uh, and Jeremy basically stole my last slide. Um, so this is a significant cost to the district, and the employee expectation for recruitment and retention is that Kaiser is a free option to employees. And of course, this is subject to bargaining, so we expect to see this um, in our next round of bargaining, that they will ask the district to cover this uh, increase in costs. So given our fiscal crisis, this is um, certainly an impact on the district. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Well, as uh, a key employer uh, with the health uh, system, we have had, as you know, a number of issues regarding enrollment and, uh, and disruption of that. And I'm sure that as you've worked with our executive director, it's been a concern. And I know that you all are diligently working on trying to rectify uh, the systems supporting the crossover of premium contributions and so forth. So as that goes forward, we will be continuing to offer our help and support uh, to the school district as you make that, trans that systems transition. And I wanted to say that on behalf of the board today yes. to you directly as one of our key employer groups. 
Yes, I, I'm new to the district. I joined in July, uh, fully aware of the major problems that the district was facing, and uh, moving to a new ERP system is one of our first priorities. Okay. So that is actually happening. All right. Are there other questions of the school district? Uh, Commissioner Fallonsby. You know, you've heard our demographics report earlier this afternoon mm -hmm. and probably saw the more detailed slides. And I just wonder how that reflects the school district. You know, um, when we talk about county, you know, by county um, enrollment, et cetera, is there a, a difference in the school district employees from our sort of overall population? Um, unfortunately, we weren't here for the demographics report, so I can't comment on how similar okay. that is to our district, but I'm happy to provide written follow-up on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the board is um, very concerned about social determinants of health. And you talked a little bit about the impact right. of the Kaiser rates now and the employee group that was seemed to be more affected Correct. by this. And um, clearly, you know, things like um, commute distance and family size and, and ethnic social background, et cetera, are all parts of this. And so it is, you know, of concern to the board in terms of trying to optimize health uh, in our structure. Right. You. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, Could you so, say your name for yes, the record, sir. please? Yes, uh, Swin Irvin. Thank you. Um, so I will say that as um, as a key employer of the district, I think one of the areas that um, that Amy alluded to is the disproportionate impact on. Um, our lowest paid employees. Um, working for the school district, I think it gives particularly um, parents who still have children in the district, um, and especially single parents, um, an option to be able to work a job that is um, in session while their children are also in school. Um, and so I think because of that, we see, I think demographically, the school district may trend a little bit heavier on like employees of color, single parents or, or children who live with grandparents or, or some other um, demographic group than the overall city as a whole. Um, All right, yeah. thank you for that information. Are there other questions for the school district? All right, thank you so thank much you. for your preparation coming today and sharing the information with us. Thank you. All right. Good afternoon. Uh, and now I know this is going to sound odd. We'd like for you to move the microphone down <laughs> and like you're getting ready to bite it. <laughs> there, okay. you, there you are. That'll be fine. All right, thank, thank you. Thank you. My name's Clara Starr. I'm the Associate Vice Chancellor for Human Resources for City College of San Francisco. And we have Lydia Jenkins is the Senior Director of Human Resources for City College of San Francisco. And then our analyst, Sharon Holm, is in the back. Sharon, she where are you? Please stand. <laughs> thank you for coming and being with your, your bosses and, and associates, I guess, <laughs> as you work for the City College. 
Well, good afternoon, board. Thanks for allowing us to come today. We really appreciate that. We do have a presentation, but I have about six bullet points that I'd like to talk to you about uh, before we show the presentation. Uh, we do have big concerns at City College of San Francisco. I'm sure some of you have probably heard those. From 2022 to 2024, the employer increase for City College was 12.1 million to 14.6 million, an increase of $2.5 million. The, this large of an increase on an annual basis is really not sustainable for the college and puts pressure on the college. Our unrestricted funds are based on the state budget for community colleges. We do not know what our financial future is going to be year to year. Based on current projections, City College may experience reduced funding in 25-26 based on the state's formula for funding community colleges. Recently, our accreditation issues has contributed to lower enrollment and lower funding for our college. The majority of our employees are enrolled in Kaiser and Blue Shield. Both Kaiser and Blue Shield had increases in the past year. As you know, the increase to Kaiser was substantial. If Kaiser and Blue Shield were to propose these types of increases for the future, it would really be a burden on our employees and the college. City College budget, as you are aware, is separate from the city's budget, and therefore the college is in a very different position than the city. The college has other employee groups, uh, such as faculty, um, unrepresented employees, and administrators. So we encourage you to consider all of this in your deliberations for the future regarding increases. So we'd like to show you our slide. Uh, First one is uh, City College employees enrolled in medical. We just wanted to kind of show, you know, what happened in 22, 23, and 24. May I ask if you could give us a general number of City College employees? We well, have a proximity of, of the total employees. Yes. yes. It's probably around 2,000. 2,000. Mm -hmm. So about 50% of your total employee base is enrolled in medical care and medical benefits all right yeah. thank you okay um, the next slide is the employer cost percentage of increase so we just wanted to kind of show you what that's been like for the college um, <clears throat> in employer cost percentage of increases this is by each one as if you can see blue shield access is the 14.40 and then for Kaiser was the 12.41%. Those were the two largest ones, and that's where most of our employees are enrolled. The next slide, <clears throat> employer annual toll cost overview. This is to show you the number of employees enrolled in the programs and also the increase uh, over that period of time. The next slide. CCSF employees enrolled in the medical plan. And this is just a breakdown in the various medical plans over this three-year period, 22, 23, and 24. And the next slide is, is to really show you how most of our employees are enrolled in Kaiser and also Blue Shield Access to show the, how, how many and the majority of them. 
I think that's our final slide. Uh, we just wanted to kind of give you an example to show you that, and I'm open for any questions that you might have. Are there questions of, of the City College representative? Yes. I, thank you very much. I want to say that I'm a big supporter of City College. My mother was faculty member in Sacramento to the City okay. College uh, system and was a graduate of their City College. It was my uncle. Um, and so I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm assuming that the state formula for reimbursement to the various colleges uh, is sort of independent of cost of living factors for the neighborhood. And so I, is that true? I mean, do you get a special rate because we're in a relatively high cost um, county? Well, so one of the biggest concerns now is the college has changed their funding. And the most, from what I understand, colleges that are going to be impacted in 25-26 is City College of San Francisco and Chabot College. And because it's, it's kind of a little bit, um, um, I don't want to say punishment, but uh, it's, it's, it's not working for City College of San Francisco. So the funding formula has changed from the yeah. previous years. And there are some colleges like San Mateo, Foothill, are receive more because of the property tax and the various things, and they are based higher than City College of San mm. Francisco. So we wanted to just share with you our concerns uh, as you go forward to make the decision about the increases of medical care for the city and county of San Francisco. If I could just comment again, yes. I just want to, um, we, we know, we're very aware of the fact that healthcare costs in Northern California are higher yeah. than they are in Southern California. Yeah. And so I think both the Sacramento area and in the Bay Area, you know, are really, um, they have higher healthcare costs in, in, from every factor. Um, yes. And so it's distressing that the formula that you talk about um, maybe doesn't take that into account um, since healthcare is such an important part of your budget. No, it doesn't. All right. Are there other questions? Yes, Commissioner Savansky. Thank you. Can you go back to this slide? Okay. And explain. I'm trying to see if I understand it. I can't read it all because it's so light. It's very light. Yeah. So basically, it goes over Blue Shield. Um, Trio is the first one you see. And Blue Shield, um, pre-tax, I mean, all of them are pre-tax, and it's showing access. The Blue Shield is trying to show the, the, the percentage and the number of enrolled in that. Okay. And what's the one that goes way below the line? This Health, health Net. Right. Oh, canopy that's care. Health not canopy care. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Are there any other comments or questions? No. Thank you for your time, for coming this afternoon and sharing with us the impact of what we're doing and our working relationship with you. I would say to you that, as I've said to other employers for a substantial period of time, the the uh, fact that health care costs continue to increase is like rust. It's always with you. The question is how much rust there's going to be in any given year. And we have tried as a board to look at a variety of things over the past uh, benefit cycle in terms of the design of our benefits, deductibles, co-pays, 
all of the other factors as we've worked with our health plans, uh, working through our actuary and, and, and the uh, health system staff under Director Yant's leadership. And I know that she's in close contact with you as employer representatives to give you a sense of either what is anticipated to happen in any given year or what is either going well or not so well as we work with our health plans. So believe me, your concern is a centerpiece of our work and we'll continue to uh, keep focused on that and keep you in mind as we do so. Thank you, and we appreciate it because Thank many of us that have been in the system for a long time are very grateful that we do have lifetime benefits because there are many places that do not have that. So we do appreciate, understand that, and we're grateful. Thank you for coming today. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Is there any other closing comment or anything from you, Abby, on this particular no, I, item? I, too, am uh, very grateful to have the opportunity to work very directly with each of the departments for this presentation. I think uh, the engagement um, and the presentation is going to go hand in hand, and I hope that we're working together more closely going forward. Um, and on a policy level, I know on a day-to-day -day operations level, you, you guys are all on speed dial, so um, you know I know that relationship is strong. So uh, I think as we grapple with some of these policy issues, and then I would just sort of leave a challenge uh, for our health plans that are in the room. Um, I think we'd like to see that below the line bar on across the board. Uh, you know, this is really a very difficult um, decision, I think, that all the employers are grappling with is how to re recruit and retain quality staff and, give, and be able to afford the benefits that they've grown accustomed to and is good for the health and welfare of our employees. So I, I, I would just close with, with that challenge uh, that we all face is how do we uh, contain this cost and um, uh, because of the, um, it's, it's gotten too expensive. All right, thank you. Uh, hearing no other questions from the board or comments from the board, we'll entertain public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first. Excuse me. Uh, the item that is listed on the board is the demographic report number nine. It should be 10 employer budget positions. That's listed on the agenda? Yeah. Yes, it's on the agenda, but it's not on the, uh, tele it's not on the screen that I'm looking at. So I'd ask that there, there, we, be, there we are. We're now uh, dealing with, in case, case the public gets confused about what we're talking about. We We've had representatives from three employers present uh, issues and concerns around health care benefits for which this board is responsible uh, and how it is impacting their budget and operations. And we as a board have been commenting and making questions around this particular item and we're now moving to public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Uh, this will be public comment for agenda item number 10, which is open now. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are four callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. 
Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. Uh, that concludes this item on the employer budget position. We'll now move to uh, rates and benefits. And just for a context for those of you who are new uh, or maybe the first time attending uh, this board meeting, uh, we have various standing committees of the board. There are two of them currently. One is finance and another is governance. It, there used to be a rates and benefits standing committee. And uh, with the restructuring of the board and looking at our terms of governance a few years ago, we decided to deal with rates and benefits as a committee of a whole. And so it's kind of, a, you don't see a transition, there's no dramatic curtain that goes up or anything else. When we move to this as a committee of the whole, unless someone calls attention to it as I'm doing today. So just so that you know, this is uh, general board business. It's handled not as, as a board, but we're meeting as a committee of the whole to discuss uh, the rates and benefits cycle, uh, renewal with our health plan partners, and other related issues. So with that, we'll now move to item 11. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 11, the presentation of the 2024 rates and benefits calendar for the plan year 2025. This is a discussion item and will be presented by Executive Director Abby Ant. Um, good afternoon, Commissioners. The rates and benefit calendar that is in your uh, material packet, uh, I'm not recommending it. There have been no changes since last month. Um, and for this month, the hold on the February 22nd date can be released. All right, thank you. I saw all of those dates come up on these uh, supplemental board meetings. And I said, uh, what is this about? And then I remembered that I needed to reserve these additional Thursdays on my calendar. So I had asked all the board members who may have done the same thing that if they're there and we release them during this meeting. So there's no further board meetings for this month. All right. Are there any comments or questions from the board around the benefits calendar? If not, uh, we'll go to public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. I'm sorry, could you yes. put the, the calendar up on the screen oh, at least so yes. that mm -hmm. everyone can see it? Mm -hmm. And as we're finding that document, I know that the print is dense, but if uh, those constituencies, members and other groups want to know month by month kind of what is going to come before the board regarding uh, which plans or the review of claims around that particular plan in a given over the past year, uh, this benefits calendar does detail that. So there are no surprises when we get to the month of June and we're ready to ratify all of this. Some of these plans we uh, approve as we go along, but by the end of June, all of this work will be done. So uh, I would encourage the general public as well as those who are in the room to uh, periodically look at this if you wanna know what we're going to be doing month by month. Thank you. And with that, we'll take public comment. 
Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue to speak. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our in remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are four callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move to item 12. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 12, review and approve the Hartford Fully Insured 2025 Rates and Contributions, which is the life insurance, accidental death and dismemberment, and long-term disability plans. This is an action item and will be presented by Mike Clark with AM. Uh, Mike Clark, for those who are in the room, uh, is with us eternally as we go through this process. Uh, and he, uh, the company he represents, has been with this board for a number of years uh, doing this work, and it's greatly appreciated. So, Mike, please. I appreciate the kind introduction. Mike Clark, Aon, uh, here to present our first renewal for plan year 2025, uh, the Hartford Fully Insured uh, Plans, where you'll see here on the page uh, what I'll go through includes basic life insurance, which is employer-paid, long-term disability insurance, which is employer-paid, Supplemental life insurance, uh, which is member paid, and supplemental accidental death and dismemberment insurance, which is member paid. Uh, the recommendation uh, that we'll also cover uh, at the end of the presentation is to accept all of the fully insured uh, life insurance, accidental death and dismemberment, and long-term disability rates as presented here. And for the 2025 plan year, this represents the third year of a three-year rate commitment that we secured from the Hartford uh, back in 2022. And you'll see the premium rates for 2025 uh, due to that rating commitment will remain level from the 2024 plan year rates. Uh, just a reminder that the insurances in this document uh, cover certain active employees within the City County of San Francisco, Superior Court, and Municipal Executive Association, uh, for basic life, LTD, and um, AD&D. And these insurances are not offered to retirees of SFA success. And the uh, San Francisco Unified School District, uh, City College of San Francisco, do not procure uh, these insurances through SFHSS. And again, uh, this is the third year of a three-year rating commitment. You can see the dates uh, by which the 20 2023 and 2024 uh, rates were approved. Um, the rates in this three-year period that started January 1st, 2023, were reduced substantially at that time. Uh, we carefully reviewed experience with the Hartford, and those led to premium rate reductions from 2022 into the 2023 to 2025 plan years of anywhere from 15% to 25%. We do have detailed um, experience exhibits in the appendix that are now updated with 2023 plan year experience. Uh, the one item that you'll probably note in looking through that, uh, the loss ratios all remain uh, positive and very favorable. There just has been somewhat of an uptick in basic life insurance uh, claims. Uh, represented by employee deaths, uh, 29 deaths in 2022, um, 20 deaths in 2023, 
relative to prior years, which included 16 and 2021. And the, uh, the we just through the, the numbers, uh, we don't wanna go through all of the causes. I would say a general categorization of leading causes were heart disease and cancer. So basic life insurance, you'll see here on page six, the uh, distribution of employees across levels of coverage um, all depends on you know, the particular um, MOU or commitment for each uh, of the employee segments. The vast majority of the employees in basic life are at a 50,000 level, uh, but there are uh, 20 at the 125,000 level and about 2,000 at the 150,000 level. We do include a link to the particular webpage uh, if anybody's looking for a description of the amounts and plan features on this page for basic life insurance. Uh, same for the next page with long-term disability, where you see two levels of coverage, again, depending on the type of employee. Um, and you can see the distribution of employees as, long, as well as the rates in the table at the bottom of page seven. For the member paid coverages, again, uh, no difference in rates from 2024 to 2025. And as Ren documented earlier, that there has been an increase in enrollments in supplemental life insurance, which is great to see. This is a terrific benefit uh, for employees to have. And so what it means in aggregate on page nine is uh, an employer, anticipated employer spend, which again is mostly um, city, county, San Francisco, but keep in mind court employees are uh, included here of approximately $7 million um, expected in 2025. And you can, you can see that's about a million six for basic life, uh, about 5.5 million for long-term disability. And then members pay almost a million dollars in premium for those supplemental coverages uh, between the three categories. So total premiums anticipated uh, based on 2023 insurance volumes of about 8 million. So with that um, recommendation on page 10 to close, it is recommended that the Health Service Board accept the renewal of all fully insured life insurance, AD&D insurance, and LTD insurance premiums uh, that are included in this presentation for the 2025 plan year, where those 2025 rates reflect the third year of a three-year rating commitment made by the Hartford uh, during 2022. President Scott. Thank you. Are there questions of uh, Mike Clark regarding any aspect of this presentation? I recommend that we approve the rates for the basic life insurance, long-term disability, and supplemental life and AD&D as presented second. for the 2025 year. There is a proper second. It's been properly moved that we accept the recommendation as contained in the presentation and stated in the motion. Are there comments or questions from the board? I would only ask if we know that this three-year commitment is running out in 2025, have we begun any discussions regarding the next multi-year renewal, or will we at some future point? Hello? There it is. Okay. Um, our cycle is that in the July, August, September timeframe, we consider uh, the need to do any RFPs. So this would fall into that category that we would be looking at next summer. Next summer. This summer. This, this summer of 24. Summer of 24, we'd be looking as to whether we were going to go for an RFP around this particular provider or seek another rate renewal. 
Yeah, I would I would say consideration. That's I mean, it. certainly yeah. we're always striving. I as the actuary and the SFHSS team to procure, you know, the fair yet lowest rates possible right. uh, for the coverages, and we'll discuss the optimal method that we collectively feel can get us there. All yeah, right. yeah, I think Mike's being very kind. Um, we we don't automatically do RFPs just because we're we we look at the whole suite of services that is under contract, and determine what um, how we want to work with those vendors going forward. All right, thank you. Are there other questions from the board regarding this topic? Uh, Commissioner Fallins? Yeah, it's not a question. I just want to comment that actually the packet had a lot more detail on claims year by year and all that. And I would urge members to take a look at that because actually it was very impressive a, about how, how much we, tar we hit the target um, for the, oh, the members have hit the target uh, for these issues. Um, and once again, it's not like a broken record, but early cancer screening, prevention of heart disease, all the name of the game to keep these rates low. <laughs> all right. Hearing no other questions from the board, we'll now have public comment on this topic. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment is now open. Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are three callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. This being an action item, we'll now have a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. The motion carries unanimously. Again, thank, thank you, you Mark, Mark, Mike, you and your team for your work on this. Uh, we're now ready for item number 13, where we, wherein we are now the Committee of the Whole on the matter of finance. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the Chair of the Finance Committee, Dr. Stephen Fallensby. Okay. Thank you very much. We'll call this meeting to order. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we need a roll call since we've got um, <laughs> members here. And we'll go to uh, uh, agenda item number um, 13. Thank you, Chair Fallensby. Agenda item number 13, review and approve the proposed San Francisco Health Service System fiscal year 2024 and fiscal year 2025 general fund administrative budget. This is an action item and will be presented by Hiptagar Hussein, SFHSS, Chief Financial Officer. All right, hello again. Um, yes, that time of year again <laughs> to do the budget. Welcome back. <laughs> and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take all year, too. Yeah. <laughs> Keep smiling. Right. Um, no, so, yeah, so, uh, so the first item on the agenda is the general fund budget and then followed by the um, health sustainability fund. Uh, so in the general fund, um, uh, just as an overview, uh, the uh, mayor's guidance uh, this year is a targeted reduction in expenses of uh, $430,000. In the detailed presentation, you'll see uh, a smaller number because we've deducted the mid-year cuts that have already been incorporated. 
so during this year, we've got 129. So in the additional cuts for uh, next year and the following year, $300,000. Um, the, uh, in addition to that, uh, their mayor has requested a contingency plan, contingency plan to uh, reduce expenses by another 215,000, and um, I'm going to share with you what that is. Um, the um, guidance also is not to do really layoffs, but to use vacant positions and increase attrition. Um, the one new item this year is uh, there. The DHRA would like to. Um, uh, HSS to administer a general uh, continuing authority fund uh, for healing circles, and I'll describe that in a slide. Uh, that would come, our, so our board would have oversight over it, so that would come under the approval of the motion for the general fund, where a new fund would be added to the function that we perform. Okay. Uh, so this is basically the budget overview and the impact on the city. Uh, the largest impact on the city, as uh, Anna mentioned, is the uh, Health Benefit Trust. Uh, the employer cost, city and county of San Francisco only, is about $850 uh, million. If you add up the employee contributions and the other entities, it goes over a billion. Um, the general fund is about $14 million, what we'll talk about here. The continuing authority I just mentioned earlier, we'll talk about that. Now, unlike the general fund, the continuing authority is ongoing. So basically, you, you're given an amount of money and uh, allowed to use it until it hits, hits the limit of the fund. It's not really contingent on a year. Uh, um, help me for, uh, for a moment. What is the purpose of this? Oh, the purpose is um, a healing circles program, which is basically um, working while black, so basically it is uh, group sessions led by a clinician um, uh, of uh, people of um, African-Americans uh, to help them adjust to uh, the working environment. Okay. And then uh, the Health Sustainability Fund, which we are, I'll talk about the separate presentation. Uh, so the highlights for the general fund, uh, the main changes, um, uh, the first one is the, um, the first responder enhanced EAP program that is an existing program, but the funding is contingent upon direct funding from those departments, and um, it's, so it's not automatically approved. So you have to manually add it and get uh, work order arrangements from the first responder departments. Um, the, um, uh, we are setting aside some more legal expenses for perhaps a 2026 RFP. Uh, that would be a work order with the city uh, legal attorneys. Uh, there is an election coming up in 26 as well. Um, and um, a while back when, when times were better, we had moved two positions out of the trust into the general fund uh, when we had the opportunity. And given the tight in a budget cut uh, situation in the city that you've seen, we would um, like to transfer them back to the trust. Um, so that's a net impact of, uh, of, and that really is how we're achieving the savings targeted by the mayor. So could you maybe just elaborate on the two manager positions just for everyone's you know, recollection and, and yeah. we, because they're coming back, so. They're, uh, they're coming back into the trust, yes. Sorry? They're going back into right. the trust, yes. So, they, uh, so the two positions are the, um, uh, the well-being manager and the communications manager. 
the well-being and the communication manager. Yes. Okay. I'm just having a little bit of a hard time. Maybe speak a little closer to the microphone. Okay. Maybe it's my hearing, but anyway, maybe other people may have a problem too. Thank you. So well-being manager and the communication manager. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, so this uh, slide basically shows you that we are at target. Um, at, um, so it shows a city target. Um, um, and the contingency plan for us is to take uh, one more attrition position uh, to increase, take one vacant position and add that to the contingency. So that is, we have some time to decide, but it would be about an FTE. Okay. Um, so in this slide, it shows you the <coughs> source of the uses. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just to make sure um, I understand. So the contingency is to add one more um, attrition position. Correct. How is the decision made? about what position um, might be dropped. Uh, you know, is that from the, the general leadership of HSS then? Yes, and so it has to be, the one thing is it, we don't do layoffs, so it has to be a vacant position. Right, so, okay. Um, so it's by chance whatever vacancy comes up first and how it might contribute to the budget, is that, is that kind of the? That's kind of, yeah. Okay, we, thank you. We wish we had a crystal ball and could project where, where the openings might be forthcoming, um, but we don't, so. I, I just, you know, just parenthetically, I just point out that it must not be very um, satisfying to uh, an employee who leaves for whatever reason to find out that their position is now, is now abandoned. Um, you know, because every employee, I think the board thinks, I'll speak for the board, that every position that we have and support is important and that there is no hierarchy of expendable employee <laughs> positions. Correct, yeah. So it really is a response to yeah. tough times, yeah. So. Uh, Commissioner Fallsby. Yes, right, Commissioner Savansky, you have you. a comment? Um, I'd like to, you know, our staff is very small and it seems to be getting smaller. <laughs> um, but we've always had a very, um, I think, small and very, um, what would I say, all of our positions are very specific with tasks. So when it comes to a vacancy like this, um, I'm just wondering how we might restore those positions or how we deal with um, tasks that were unique to those positions that now have to be absorbed by other positions because that calls for a change in job descriptions as well. Um, so I'm very concerned about how these go into um, to be considered, um, you know, go into attrition like this. You know, if I may, Iftikhar, I, I think this is Commissioner, the, yeah, please. Thank you. Um, not Commissioner. Not Commissioner. <laughs> Director, uh, Director yeah. Yeah. Executive Director, yeah. yeah. Trying to get rid of my position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I saw that, that was quick. You saw that coming. Yeah, those administrators are no. not working. Um, <laughs> but um, you, first of all, I'd, we have to go back to, or is this, yeah, this is the slide, where you, if you really look at the FTE count, you know, we've been pretty stable over the years. Yeah. It feels doesn't feel like it's been because it has been up and down and we fight tooth and nail and we often are doing okay. Thus the presentation by the mayor's budget director, we are in a very different time. And it is similar to 2008 and I know many of us in the room were around for 2008 um, and I think we're gonna have to, you know, 
buckle up and figure out how to weather this storm um, because it's very real. Uh, and uh, I think all our leadership and our, our staff are very interested in always getting better and more efficient at what they do. And we lived through the great resignation a year ago, got super creative and ha uh, uh, in how to manage that. And that kind of thinking is what we're going to need going forward um, because we are going to have to do with what we're able to provide. Um, and so it's, I think it would be, um, and then we're going to talk in a little bit um, about the sustainability fund and our recommendation um, on increasing that, that will help um, if we can get the approval through the mayor's office to do what we've proposed. So why don't we continue with this presentation and get the whole picture. Um, All right. Thank you. So that, yes, and this this slide that Abby talked about um, shows you the FTE trend. Our, our historical FTEs actually have been lower um, because of vacancies. So we, we our, our program to fill those vacancies actually has been going well. But as of now, though, we still have a total of nine vacancies, four in the general fund, and five in the trust. And the numbers I show here do not show the attrition position. So on top of this, we have positions which have been set aside for attrition. Okay, so this is the Healing Circles program. Um, like I said, it's a contending authority fund, which means that uh, once we start it, we have some flexibility on how much we do in every year. So we have the million dollars and, we, uh, and a designated purpose with that fund and we um, uh, perform the activities and we have flexibility, so it's not annual approval, but we um, spend up to that million. So it's a program that is part of the Dreamkeeper program. That program really has a total funding of 60 million, and so this, they've set aside, the DPH would like to transfer a million of that to HSS to basically continue this program that they're having where uh, you have a clinicians and cohorts um, in, in group sessions uh, along with some administrative team to kind of manage and organize uh, those sessions. Okay. Uh, I do want to point out that this, um, the continuing authority fund is subject obviously to the, um, to the uh, arrangement with DPH and also uh, the mayor um, budget office also has um, uh, to buy off on this plan as to whether or not this is in accordance with the fund's um, purpose. Are there questions on this particular item? I just want to make sure I'm clear that this um, money would be used through our well-being manager would correct in the, the, the well-being program within HSS. Correct. Yes. All right. With additional resources to kind of carry out this one. Right. Yeah, if I may, um, just to give you a little context, this program was piloted by DPH in partnership with ourselves, and we've since brought in um, the Office of Racial Equity and the Department of Public Health and the Department of Human Resources so that we really have a collaborative approach to this work. Um, it's very meaningful, um, but it's very new and, and different, and so we want to be sure that we're all um, aligned in the efforts that we're doing, and so they've identified they identified these funds that would be could be made available for us to do this, which was really great. Mm -hmm. um, but we haven't worked out all the kinks, and once we've got that kind of uh, fully flushed out an agreement amongst all the parties, uh, we will make a presentation at the board and provide you with more detail. 
All right, Great. thank you. We'll look forward to that. Uh, please continue. All right, so th those are all the slides. I'm happy to answer questions, otherwise we have the motion uh, for the general fund. Are there other questions on the general fund? Uh, this is going to be an action item uh, from members of the board. If there are none, we'll take public <coughs> comment. Should I make the motion? Actually, may, may, may I entertain a motion, motion. Yeah. to the approve the motion? I'm sorry. I it's okay. Took it's over okay. The it's, there's no problem. <laughs> um, the motion is to approve the San Francisco Health Service System fiscal year 2024 to 2025 um, and the fiscal year 2025 to 2026 general fund administrative budget and general fund continuing authority fund. Second. Okay, it's been moved and seconded as such. Now we can open this up. Any more discussion or questions? If not, we can open up for general comment and question. Thank you, Committee Chair Scott. I'd just like to um, announce the arrival of Supervisor Chair, Dorsey. Committee uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, thank you, um, Committee Chair Fallensby. Um, I wanted to make sure we announced that Supervisor Dorsey um, will be able to vote with this agenda item. Um, so our public comment first would be public comment is now open. Our instructions are displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star three to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching the meeting on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are three callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you very much. It's been moved and seconded that we uh, accept the uh, proposal for the uh, San Francisco Health Service System fiscal year 2024 2025 and fiscal year 2025-2026 proposed general fund administrative budget. We'll call for a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zvansky. Aye. It passes unanimously. Thank you very much. That concludes um, agenda item number 13. We'll move to agenda item number 14. Thank you, Committee Chair Follinsby. Agenda item number 14, review and approve the San Francisco Health Service Fund fiscal year 2024 and 2025 and fiscal year 2025 to 2026 proposed healthcare sustainability fund budget. This is an action item and will be presented by Iftikhar Hussein, SFHSS, Chief Financial Officer. All right, the sustainability fund, just to kind of remind um, everyone, uh, it's, uh, it's based on the charter section A8423. Uh, it covers activities uh, related to um, wellness, well-being, uh, reducing the cost of health care, um, uh, communications. Um, so um, yeah, that's what this describes. The... Um, it's the same slide I showed earlier. Okay, so the highlights of this budget are um, uh, the other side of the transfer. So from the general fund, we took back funding uh, f uh, about uh, $500,000 for uh, the position we transferred back into the trust. Uh, the total increase in salaries uh, that you see in this fund is higher because we are filling vacancies. So there's five vacant positions in the trust. 
that in the budget we assume we're gonna fill them. Uh, the other activities in this fund are, all, are mainly meant to, um, would in fact long-term help us reduce costs of healthcare. Uh, you have the DIVA infrastructure, which is an ele electronic mechanism to accept documents and, and communicate with our members, uh, which is a one-time setup uh, that would uh, make the process of this compliance um, uh, um, um, more effective um, and perhaps expand, we could expand that program. Uh, the um, e-benefits the e uh, module, which is the open enrollment module we use, is sunsetting. So it has to be replaced. It's really important to use that. That is our core system uh, when we introduce new options and new enrollments. Um, so if, if, if members are, are, if it's not clear, not working efficiently, it's really difficult to change programs and offerings. Um, we have an additional RFP placeholder in here for, 20, for, for an RFP effective 26 for $150,000. We will evaluate what type of an RFP uh, that would be. And uh, we are looking at alternatives to our existing APCD um, uh, option. Uh, it is uh, not fully used mainly, and it has actually uh, it's implemented a standalone system for us. And what we are looking is if we can have a more of a collaborative model that we can work and, and share with others that would lower the cost and increase the uh, effectiveness of that system. Can you just elaborate what APCD stands for? Uh, I'm sorry, yes, it's the All Payers Claim Database. So basically all of the activity um, of the health plans. And likewise with the uh, DEVA, would you oh. spell that out as well? It's uh, Dependent Dep Eligibility Verification Audit. Right. And I just want that to pass by. Uh, we've had that audit ongoing yes. for a number of years under a variety of forms. We used an external vendor. We created uh, external internal process for a year or so, and now we're trying to get a system that will actually support that activity on an ongoing basis. And this is something that any uh, from a fiduciary standpoint that we should be doing and we've been a little bit handicapped over the years because we've had these variety of uh, systems approaches or efforts to try to do this so this will help us to meet an ongoing uh, compliance requirement and a fiduciary requirement for us as a board to verify that dependents that are listed and claimed by our members in the health plans are really dependents. And so uh, I know that it's not necessarily a pleasant activity for uh, members who are picked to go through this process, but it's something that we must do. Yeah, and, we, and the change really is to make, streamline the process. Right. So right now it's a, mostly done with mail. Um, and so we, we're, doing elect we're introducing electronic tools. Can you uh, repeat the DEVA again? Dependent eligibility verification. verification audit. Yep, thank you. Uh, so other services that are not changing uh, that we provide as part of the, f uh, that the fund is used for is uh, we have a mental health uh, a resource called Incredible Mind that uh, helps members find uh, the right resources. We have uh, health coaching 
uh, we have a CDC-approved uh, uh, diabetes prevention program uh, that uh, the program that the trust funds. Uh, we have vaccine annual flu vaccine clinics, uh, and we have webinars on health and well-being um, as part of that program to our website. And so I think this falls into the category of efforts to try to help decrease the healthcare costs overall by getting people channeled to the right program at the right time early in their, uh, you know, with identified issues. Exactly, yes. Um, so, um, let's see. Okay, so, th so this year, one something new that uh, we're presenting, and so we, we do the forecast every year for the Health Sustainability Fund, uh, but this year we're actually presenting that as part of the budget. And uh, what that, uh, and, and in that process, when we do the forecast every year, we look at sustainability of that fund. Uh, and what we are uh, recommending this year is to increase the assessment from the current $3 uh, to $4. Um, the very bottom of the, of the slide shows you the impact uh, of changing it to $4, which basically makes the fund uh, sustainable through 2028. Uh, we do, uh, I do want to remind you that we do this every year, and so we will revise this plan and based on a long-term look, uh, look at the fund, um, and looking at both what type of activities uh, we should be funding and also uh, the assessment. So unfortunately this year, because of the shift back of, uh, of the two positions into the trust, um, um, uh, we are, um, we're having to increase the assessment. The impact on um, the active members uh, is about, you know, typical cost sharing is about uh, 93.7, where the employer pays 93% of the cost, and the employee pays the 7%. For the retirees, the benefit is based on 10 counties, so the, so the, so the member would pay the entire increase. And can you recall or have a record of the last time there was an increase in this? It was 2017. Thank you. I think that's important that the last increase to $3 was 2017. And in the meantime, um, this fund has gone to, to actually um, become responsible for an increasing number of important initiatives uh, within that still assessment of $3 per member per month mm -hmm. over the course of those, taking on more and more uh, responsibilities and um, initiatives. Um, in, the, in that period, so they've been, I think, from my oversight of this, been quite um, uh, careful in how this money is being managed, and I appreciate that over the course of the last four years, seven years, seven years. All right. Okay. Um, so that's the presentation. Uh, any, uh, happy to answer any questions, otherwise we have the motion. I. Any comments or questions before I entertain a motion? I move that we approve the uh, recommendation as presented to uh, for the health system service uh, fiscal year for 2024, 2025, and 2025-2026 of the health care sustainability fund, including the assessment of $4 per member per month beginning in plan year 2025. Second. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Uh, any further discussion or um, questions from the board? If not, we'll open this up for public discussion, questions and discussion. Thank you, committee chair Follinsby. Our public comment is now open. 
Instructions are being displayed on the screen for those watching on SFGov TV and WebEx. In-person public comment will be first, followed by remote public comment. For those callers on the line, press star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. For those watching on WebEx, click on the raise hand icon to be placed in the public comment queue to speak. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our remote public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, there are three callers on the phone line. Zero callers have entered the public comment queue. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Great. Thank you very much. So it's been moved and seconded that we approve the proposed San Francisco Health Service System fiscal year 2024-25 and fiscal year 25-26 healthcare sustainability fund budget, which includes an increase in per member per month contribution of uh, four, uh, $3 to $4, a $1 increase per member per month. Uh, we'll call for a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner, uh, excuse me, Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. And Commissioner Zavansky. Aye. It passes unanimously. Thank you very much. This concludes the, um, the finance uh, subcommittee committee report, uh, committee session. Turn it back over. Thank you. I'll retain the gavel back. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, uh, Chair Follinsby, for that. We're now back in our regular board meeting. And with that, I would now call to uh, item number 15. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 15, reports and updates from contracted health plan representatives. This is a discussion item. Uh, are there any health plan representatives that wish to come forward? We have. Yes. Hi, good afternoon. Debbie McConathy with Kaiser Permanente. Um, so at the January board meeting, um, Commissioner Follinsby, you had commented um, about the importance of letting the public know um, if Kaiser changes services or locations. Um, more specifically, um, you were asking about um, the change from the walk-in vaccine clinic um, that moved from city center to the French campus. So um, just wanted to assure you that we do make every effort to notify um, members of any um, changes to services or locations. Um, and just wanted to let you know that I did reach out to our San Francisco Medical um, Service Center, and they did um, let me know of the communication that they um, sent out to members. So I just wanted to highlight um, what was done. So um, they indicated they put um, signage outside the city center vaccine clinic at the French campus. Um, they tweeted about the closure. Um, they put a message to Northern California members um, in the January e-newsletter, we were um, notified about uh, that change in mid-November, but it was too late to put into the December e-newsletter. Um, we also ensured that our websites, the kp.org and our Thrive site, which is kp.org backslash San Francisco, was updated with that information. Um, we provided an update on the My Doctor Online app. Um, the uh, hotlines, um, the appointment and call advice um, center were also updated as well as Google. So I just wanted to let you know that. Thank you. Thank you for that update. Are there any other comments from plan representatives? I'd ask the plan representatives to please stand who are present today. Thank you for coming and being with us throughout this process. And we're continuing to be pleased with the hard work that you're putting in working with our staff. 
on all of the issues in service to our members. So thanks again for coming today. Happy to hear from you anytime. <laughs> uh, with that, uh, I would want to make note before our adjournment that uh, we did, uh, the board members, 100% of them completed the education survey uh, that was uh, sent out to us, and uh, we are going to be having a governance committee meeting in March to review the education plan for this board uh, for the ensuing year. So I thank the board members for completing that uh, task, and you need to be aware, upcoming on April the 2nd, I repeat, April the 2nd, we all must complete the conflict of interest form 700 on site on, and on the website. So uh, start preparing now. I hope that the board secretary doesn't have to hound us or our council get after us to complete uh, that form. So please do that. And with that, uh, seeing no other business, we are stand adjourned. Thank you, President Scott. Adjournment at 3.28 p.m. Welcome to the city.